This is not an attempt at a full-length historical study of the man whose reticence about his deep emotions misled intimate friends and has teased the curiosity of a century and a half. Not only is there very little need for another biography of him, a huge number of works, critical and biographical, exist in France and some few in English, but I have not world enough nor time left me to attempt one. At most I have only time to speak about him as one speaks in suitable company of a friend. The friend one makes for life at eighteen is not the person one knows at fifty-eight, sixty-eight, seventy-eight. When one has lived for the better part of a lifetime with a dead writer, it is difficult to disengage him from the changing image, formed slowly and added to almost without intention, which has come to figure in the mind more clearly than the man as he figures in the documents, including his journals, letters, autobiographical works, and in the records of his contemporaries. Not a wholly false image, but differing in countless ways from those images formed by other readers, and as radically as all these differ from the idea the man had of himself. All are more or less the truth, as far as it can be known, except to God. Great writers of any epoch can be divided into two kinds, the self-destroyers, a Balzac, a Byron, and the self-preservers, the Goethe's. Is it only because he belongs indisputably with the first that Henri Bayle, he was over thirty when as a writer he became Stendhal, still seduces generation after generation of readers? No one would smile more quizzically than he to see himself the centre of a cult, his letters and scrawled notes deciphered, his views, motives, quips analysed, his travels mapped, his briefest infatuation spied on, his steps followed from salon to salon, lodging to lodging. No writer has been more mercilessly dissected. We know more about his activities than did his friends. But do we know him better than they did? That old Paul Leoto, himself a monster of repressed sensibility, writing in 1901, said, Chez Stendhal, l'homme est si particulier qu'il n'y a pas de milieu. On l'adore ou on le déteste. He was little given to adoration, but he and Stendhal had a living nerve in common, an unappeased longing for tenderness. It started, I dare say, at the same depth in both. Leoto's mother light-heartedly abandoned her infant. Stendhal's died when he was seven. He never aged. The born rebel, the child who, alone of his right-thinking family, was heart and soul for the Republic, who rejoiced when Louis XVI was guillotined, and loathed with an equal rage Jesuits and a purse-proud middle class, the adolescent determined to become the new Molière, the mocker at self-important authority survived unchanged in the man dying at fifty-nine. At least one of the reasons why he continues to seduce. The man and the work are inalienably one. His heart beats in it. Il n'est pas une phrase parfaite de Monsieur Anatole France qui donne autant d'émotion que la moindre phrase sèche, écrite sans souci de ce tendre et troublant stendhal. Léoto again. He prided himself on being guided by what, drawing the word out, he called la logique.